Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. All right, Sharon, welcome to the studio again. Oh, so glad to be in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. And today we've got another special guest, and I'm looking forward to this one. Oh my gosh, so am I. Yeah, so Randy Moore, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having yeah, me. It's always good to have you. And today's topic, I think, is going to be very interesting from a lot of different perspectives, Randy. Well, thanks. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, you kind of thought of this to begin with, Jeremy. Well, that's and, why I said it was going to be interesting. Yeah, I liked of it. Course, you know? so. Of course. <laughs> and so I, I gave Randy a call, and it sounded like it was kind of fortuitous because he had been giving this topic a lot of thought as of late so i don't know if y'all had that what is it that espn espn (laughs) yeah the mental telepathy (laughs) going Uh, on because both of you were thinking of it around the same time it seems like well the title of it is the crucibles of leadership and how randy moore overcame fear doubt and uncertainty to find his leadership voice and you know it's interesting randy you know i met you years ago when you first kind of took over the ANA and I've kind of seen you grow. I mean, I don't see you as often and, you know, we don't talk that often, but I've seen different levels of Randy throughout mm-hmm. this process, which has been really interesting. And I'm sure you've, you've obviously noticed it as well. So kind of tell us your thoughts and, you know, why this is important at this point and we'll kind of kick it off. It's interesting going through experience like I did coming from the membership, serving on the board, and then being in this role, which was a whirlwind experience for sure. I've frequently had this thought that, man, oh, man, I learned a lot of things the hard way, right? (laughs) And and it would be nice if I could help people shorten or decrease their learning curve when you're moving into high-profile or even, I mean, it doesn't have to be high-profile jobs, jobs where you are now responsible for a lot of people and a lot of stuff. And there's a lot that you're not taught. Well, you know, I went to business school. I was in the military. I was in clinical and facility leadership for a period of time. But through the whole process in the last three years, I kept having this thought like, man, I need to share this with other people. 
because this is tough stuff, right? And and it's not always as easy or sexy as, as some people think it is. And it, I think there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be shared. Well, Randy, tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. You know, how did you find yourself as a CEO of the ANA? Well, I'm sure <laughs> I ask myself that question often. I'm sure other people ask the question too. If you looked at my CV, it would look like I had a plan, and I, I very much did not have a plan. In fact, if you would have asked me three or maybe four years ago what I wanted to do, I would have told you I wanted to be a CEO of a hospital. And uh, I thought that I was on that trajectory, and then you know life happens, right? I mean, it's yeah. uh, you know I had a interest in, and I think I had some aptitude in leadership, right? And so when you're good at something or you think you're good at something and you get enjoyment out of it, you want to spend more time doing that. And so I gravitated, like many of CRNAs who are interested in leadership, I gravitated towards state leadership. I gravitated towards uh, facility leadership. And then I had some success and doors were open for me. And then through a series of, you know, interesting events, some of it's just plain luck, to be honest with you, and some of it's preparation and, and all of that. I find myself in a job that is really I mean, I think a lot of people in the profession would position as like the best job in the organization, which is being CEO of the organization that I'm a member of. I don't of. know. Some people may I, say I that's say, not the best job in the whole organization. And it's funny, Randy. I've noticed over the past few years, your hair's gotten a little more gray than it was yeah, when I first took over. So. Yeah. There's some, listen, <laughs> Are there any names on each one of those hairs, Randy? I mean, you want to share? <laughs> I bet not. We'd have to bleep that out. Um, so how would you define your leadership style, Randy? I think it's, it's kind of an amalgamation of life experiences and – and real leadership philosophy, right? So if you ask someone what their leadership philosophy and the word service is not anywhere in it, then you're probably not talking to a leader, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And meaning that they're a um, manager, <laughs> right? Or, or you're, you're someone who is masquerading as a leader, right? So I think about, you know, there really are two different kinds of leaders that you encounter, whether it's at the, you know, the team level or, or organizational system or system level. There are people who are in leadership because they're there for the rewards of leadership. That's mm-hmm. one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they like the title, they like the money, they like right. the prestige. You mean like uh, people in Washington? Uh, <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh. And I, I would go out on a limb and say that's a large percentage of people who are currently in leadership, regardless yeah. of. Mm-hmm. And those people are really not very good leaders. Right. Uh, and it's because they're, they're showing up, they're assuming this responsibility and this influence for the wrong reasons, yep. right? Then the, there's the other kind of leader, which we call the service-oriented leader. And there's been a lot of conversation around servant leadership. Sharon may remember we had Simon Sinek speak at one of our meetings, and he's a big proponent of that. And it really is. There's only one kind of leadership. There's only one kind of leadership, and that's service-oriented leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I, the more that I spend in that mind space, you know, thinking, okay, my job is to help people accomplish things, right? You know, People, teams, organizations accomplish uncommon results. It's not about me. It's not about whatever my CV or my title or money. It really is showing up as consistently as I can focused on servicing the team. That's my leadership philosophy. Now, and I I think the more that I am in that mindset, the better leader I am. The more I'm selfish about things, the more it's obvious to myself and other people. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very true. Randy, you want to digress for just a minute. So I guess as I look at you and your role, you know, one of the questions that keeps popping in my mind is what did Randy think his role would be coming in? And 
How's that different than what you thought? You were 2017, three years ago, a little over three years yeah. ago now. How is it different than what you thought you would be doing and how you would be handling situations and so forth? Intellectually, I knew what the job was, right? I mean, I, I had served on the board for three years. Right. I worked for CEOs, read all kinds of articles and books and about executive leadership. And so you come into it knowing the roles and the responsibilities that are involved in the work. What you can't know until you live through it is what that really means. (laughs) (laughs) Until until you are day in and day out making decisions, uh, being unfairly criticized and being fairly criticized uh, for some of the decisions that you make. The just the cumulative impact of that I mean that there is, you know, there is never a day where you, you can't show up and be a jerk, right? You can't show up unprepared. You can't show up in a selfish mindset because it's obvious to everybody because everyone is always looking at you. You're always being watched. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I really am. But I think failed to really appreciate was the amount of time and effort I have to put into myself in order to be a good leader. I always thought, well, you know, whatever, I got the skills and the degrees and, and, I, and I was picked. Here we go. But that, that's just the beginning, right? I mean, there is a lot of self-exploration. There's a lot of uh, come to Jesus, if you will, kind of conversations that you have with yourself and other people. And until you're in that kind of role, you can intellectually know it, but you, you have to live it. And I, I think that's the best way I could describe that kind of transformation where you could say you're a CEO by title. And then you become an executive leader by mindset. And it it takes some time. Well, it's a journey. I know whenever (laughs) I was applying to Yale and they were asking all of these questions. And, you know, one of my responses was, if you think you're there now, that's a problem. Because you learn all the time. And if you're not, and my personal philosophy is that's, that's bad. It's, right. you know, you're always on a journey, learning yeah. something else. Yeah. Right when you think you're arrived, they pull the rug out from underneath you and you <laughs> learn that you have not arrived. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. 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 There's a concept, that, and this is not new by any stretch of the imagination, but this growth versus fixed mindset in terms of how people approach their lives, right? And there's typically, there's two mindsets, meaning that fixed mindset, there's limited things that you can do to make things around you better. Right, things happen to you, and you just got to deal with it. The growth mindset kind of perspective is that you know things happen to you, and you look at it. This is an opportunity for me to learn, grow, or get better at something. Right. And one of the things that I, you know, when I evaluate candidates, you know, if they're you know applicants for leadership positions at the AANA, I get to those questions pretty quickly. I don't ask you, are you a growth mindset or fixed mindset <laughs> person. I'll ask questions to under uncover that because growth mindset folks really are able to adapt and to learn from adversity. They bring new ideas. They're typically very curious. And that's one of those areas where I think when I was a younger person, I don't think I was a growth mindset person. And I have through whatever experiences and work adopted a growth mindset. And that's one, if you, I've had people ask me, okay, what's the key to success? One, we all know I'm not the smartest person in the room and I never will be. And I've never purported to be. But I think for me, my competitive differentiation, what maybe separates me from the average Joe is I have a growth mindset and I'm infinitely curious. And so, you know, when I'm working with emerging leaders and I'm talking about, well, you know, what's that, you know, they want to know what is, is it finance? Is it strategy? 
And I said, no, it's mindset. Yeah, It's mindset. If you can work on your mindset and get yourself positioned as a curious and growth mindset oriented person, you're head and shoulders above a lot of other folks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, Sharon. You know, I noticed that about you as well. You know, when, when something goes wrong, you don't delve into it. You know, you, you learn from it, you pick up from it, and you figure out what you've learned and how can you move forward from there. And Randy, if, I, if I'm just paraphrasing what you're saying, but, you know, I see that in a lot of the CRNA leaders that, you know, we talk to and the CRNAs that I know around the country. It's not a woe is me mindset. Mm-hmm. It is, okay. Things are going to go wrong. It's just how you deal with it. How do you move forward? And what did I learn from it? And, you know, I see that in, in you and a lot of TRNAs. Well, I've always said kind of the analogy, I'm a beach ball. You can push me under the water. You can push me under the water. <laughs> I like and that. you let it go, and I'll just, <clears throat> I'll come straight back up out of the water. I'm glad you didn't say a beach whale or something like that. <laughs> well, I used to know. be before the weight loss. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put it that way. Uh, so I hear you saying that's one of the essential skills of leadership. Any other essential skills that you would like to tell us about that you think is important outside of the growth mindset? Yeah, well, here, this is where maybe some refinement in my thinking has occurred in the last 12 months <laughs> or two years. 12 months. You think about <laughs> the immense amount of disruption that we're experiencing right now. COVID-19, the economy, social unrest, political polarization on top of a healthcare system, which was already profoundly broken. And during that time, I was also a new or relatively new CEO and trying to navigate through that and other issues, some of which were personal for me. And I think I would say this, I would say the two key traits that I would characterize for people who want to survive difficult or high stress situations is, and this is going to sound very basic, but it's extremely important. One is courage, mm. meaning that, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, running into a hail of bullets courage. I'm saying the courage to do the right thing regardless of the circumstances. That's really important in leadership because you're constantly going to be put in a position to make difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you always gravitate towards what's safe for you, then you're not going to be making good decisions. You're not going to be a particularly good leader. And so I would put courage right at the top. I think it's, you know, obviously closely related with integrity. The other one, which is being tested like crazy all around us with all of us, you know, individually, collectively, whether you're in leadership or not, is this concept of adaptive capacity. Mm. You know, so think of adaptive capacity as your ability. So you're, you're in a situation where it is stressful. You're being presented with adversity. And it's related to growth mindset in that when you are experiencing this, it's really easy to, you know, the amygdala to take over, uh, you know, fear, flight, or freezing typically. With someone who has a high adaptive capacity, they look at these situations almost like you're on top of a balcony and you're looking out over the, everyone else, right? You're now connecting the dots. You're seeing the forest from the trees. And, high, and people with high adaptive capacity are able to come out of very difficult situations actually better, right? They say, okay, yeah. what about this situation? Mm-hmm. Can I learn from it? How can I be better? How can my team be better and my organization be better? And that's one of those areas that was really tested and still is being tested today with anyone who has any level of leadership in any kind of organization. Yeah. You know, if you look back over the past 12 months, you know, what I saw in all this, I mean, yes, there's been a lot of despair and death and a lot of darkness in this, but, you know, I also saw a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there, there yeah. was tremendous, anytime there's disruption, there is opportunity. And it's how you view that 
that makes the difference. You know, I, I was just, as Randy was talking, you know, I was just thinking about the opportunity for CRNAs in this environment, you know, and what happened to relieve supervision right. um, for a lot of CRNAs around the country. And what an opportunity that was, Randy, on your part and the ANA's part to kind of ushered that in to the mainstream and the political environment that we were in. And, you know, I think anytime there's hard times, there is a silver lining somewhere and there's, there is opportunity. And, you know, I always tell our clients as well, you know, when the market's going down, not everybody's losing money. There are people that are still making money when the market's going mm-hmm. down. You know, they're looking at things differently. And in life, sometimes we just got to change our perspective to find those opportunities. Exactly. Have you ever heard of Brene Brown? She talks about vulnerability. I listen to her podcast all the time. And on the way over here today, I was listening to one with Melinda Gates. And she Mm. talks a lot about courage. And whenever you want to lean back, she says you need to lean Lean in in. yeah so it's interesting that you would say that also you and melinda gates been talking lately randy yeah we 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 do a lot of text messages (laughs) hang out a lot (laughs) yeah yeah well you know another word that we've heard a lot is resiliency and randy you know why don't you talk a little bit about that how personally and professionally you've dealt with things over the last year and three years in your position yeah it, it sneaks up on you i'll be honest with you and let me kind of paint the picture of, of how I've dealt with some issues in some ways well, in some ways not particularly well. And how there was a point in time, you know, I was kind of circling the drain in terms of the role that I have here at the AANA. And so kind of paint the picture. So here I am, I think I was like 40 or something like that. I get this dream job, right? You know, there's this experience that I have where I've now been selected to be the chief executive officer of the organization. And sure, and I understand there's some controversy with the process or maybe even the selection, but I was ready to go, right? And I get into this role and the first year is, you know, you're feeling good. It's almost like a honeymoon period. Uh, You're making some changes that needed to be made. You're making some mistakes, but you're learning and you're okay with that. The board that you're working with is pretty much the board that hired you, right? So there's a lot of good feelings going on there. And then what I noticed was, you know, in my second year, things shifted for me personally in, in a big way and, and professionally, too. And I, I wasn't sure what was happening. I didn't have as whatever, you know, as smart as I think I am or as educated, I didn't have a lot of insight into my own emotions. And I was in this weird situation where I was 18 months into my dream job and deeply unhappy with my job. Hmm. And that is scary. Right. So if you think about it, I, I relocated my family here. Uh, I am 18 months into what's supposed to be a dream gig, and I'm having difficulty finding fulfillment or purpose in my role. And I go through this period of trying to understand well, what's happening here. Why did you know my fa- I've scared my family. My wife is now like, you're walking around like a zombie. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're deeply unhappy. You're talking about leaving the organization. And there was a point in time where I was interviewing for jobs that I was way overqualified for. Mm. And in retrospect. What happens is when you're in that kind of mindset, you're, my default thing when I'm under stress is to run away. Right. Well, I think right? That's to, to get away from whatever it is that I'm not dealing with inside my head or what's inside the organization. And I found myself, and I think quite clearly I was depressed, right, for a period of time. And so I, I had to do some work in terms of understanding what that is. And what I found with hard work, and this is where I want to share things with people so they don't have to go through these kinds of situations, 
is that I was running away from the fact that I, my level of resilience was very low. Hmm. Despite being an army dude, despite you know the, the experiences that I've had, I was not a particularly resilient leader. Huh. And then, so I, I had to peel the layers of the onion back and say, why is that? Why are you not a resilient leader? And the more exploration is because I was not living a purpose-driven life. Hmm. Meaning that I didn't have, going back to service, I was still fixated on, I think, these external validations of success, right? A CEO guy, right? I got the job. And I had not really fully internalized the fact at that time that I'm really here to serve people. And so when you start dealing with adversity, what do you do? If you don't have a North Star internal purpose, mm-hmm. yep. then you're listless. You're like a, a plane without uh, instruments or, or a boat without a sail. And there I am. I find myself in December interviewing for a job that I was vastly overqualified for. Mm-hmm. And anyone looking at that externally would say, what is wrong with him? He's got everything. Why is he trying to run away from a job that's amazing? And it's because I had no sense of purpose. I had lost it, right? And I, I was I was fixating on things that weren't important, and I was dealing with some adversity at work, and I, I wasn't responding to it the way that I should have, which is, roll your sleeves up, deal with it. <clears throat> I was running away. So let me ask you, how did you get out of that? I mean, did you get yourself a, a coach? Did you just... Get some good this, drugs? Yeah, or, come know, to I this mean. realization. <laughs> Did your wife say, hey, listen, well, <laughs> you got to figure this b- before out, Randy, you which is what this. most women do. <laughs> well, bef- before you answer that, Randy, I, it's interesting, you know, because Sharon and I were having kind of a dialogue before you came on. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, purpose and life and being happy and mm-hmm. what makes you happy. You know, I made the comment to Sharon, you know, I work with hundreds of millions of dollars on a daily basis. I know, he was trading $100 million <laughs> whenever I come in today. And it's like, what I learned early on in life is money does not make you happy. Positions do not make you happy. And mm-hmm. I think it's just because I've worked with folks typically in my career that have mm-hmm. always been older than me and I've learned from them. And, you know, as I, I sat here listening to you, our dialogue was, you know, and my wife, Sarah, and I talk about this, is things don't make me happy. You know, we have a nice house and we drive nice cars and we have a nice life. But, you know, if I go buy something, I buy a new car, it's just like driving my old car to me. It doesn't really make me, those things don't make me happy. And as you were just talking, Randy, it reminded me of Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, this was years ago. He was on, I think it was 60 Minutes. And they were asking him, you know, here at that point, I think he'd won five Super Bowls and you're married to a, a supermodel and you've got more money than, you know, you can count on. You've got people who love you. You've got fame and, and all these things. And they're like, what's next? And he paused. I'll never forget it. And he, he looked at whoever was interviewing him at the time and he goes, you know, I do have all those things, but there's got to be something more. And I found that profoundly interesting and not only did he say at that time they interviewed him again a couple years later and I think he'd won two more Super Bowls or something and and he said the same thing and I've, I've watched him you know to be at the level he's at it's like he's still searching I mean here he is wow. you know he's left New England and he's now playing you know for Tampa Bay and it's, it's almost like he's still searching for that it. purpose. <laughs> and Randy, that's what I hear you say, if I can kind yeah. of 
come back to that. And now if you want to, sorry, but I wanted to get no, that out. I, thought I know it was you like that story. Yeah. I mean, it, it just yeah. resonates with me. And what Randy just said just resonated to my core. Sure. Because I talk to people about that daily. Well, you know, we were having in our discussion and we said, unfortunately, sometimes this wisdom comes with age because yeah. 40 is very young. Randy, <laughs> I would like to be 40 again. Mm-hmm. But you know, with the Fab Four, we usually travel together and we used to give each other gifts and things like that. And now we just say, we just want time with each other because, you know, there's more years behind us than in front of us. I mean, you know, some of us are getting close to 60 in the Fab Four, not me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you're not going to live 60 more years. So it's just time. And unfortunately, we were supposed to have been gone this week, all of us together. But things Mm. precluded us from doing that. But look at the opportunity. You're here with me and Randy. There you go. There's the opportunity. Well, I would have been with y'all anyway, because we would have been doing Zoom wherever we were Uh, were at. But, you know, I just did an interview this week with Gail Adcock, a representative from North Carolina. And we were talking about my run for office. And she was asking me a lot of questions about that. And You know, I hate I lost, but I've learned more from my failures than I've learned from my successes. Mm. Yeah. So what would you say to that, Randy? Have you learned more from your failures than your successes? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, for sure. Right. And they're painful. And I I think that's one one of the flips that I've made in my mind is to think about my failures as gifts to me. And I'm more resilient now. So when things don't work out the way that I want them to, I just say, well, I learned from that. Or what else could I learn from that? I won't do that again. Yeah. So, and if I was presented with the same situation, I had to do things differently. And I, I am not, you know, we're, as CRNAs, we're, we're trained and educated to be never to fail, never to right. make mistakes, right? Because if someone makes a mistake in an operating room, a patient gets hurt. Mm-hmm. That's a very unhealthy mindset, to be perfectly honest with you. We need to acknowledge that human beings make, make mistakes, and that is an important part of development. That's an important part of maturation and growth as a human being is the, the mistakes you're making. You shouldn't be ashamed of them. You should put them out there, and you should learn from them and help other people learn from them. Well, I would suspect that if you recognize within yourself, well, I messed up, and I'll do better the next time. I would assume that'd make you a good boss. I'd like to have a boss that realized that that too could happen to me. Yeah. As your employee. Yeah, you humble yourself. Yeah. 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 That uncovers the, the power of vulnerability. Yeah. As a leader, and you, you mentioned Brene Brown. You know, when you say, and I've said this in meetings before, I was like, I really screwed this up, guys. <laughs> I've said it in front of 120 staff. I screwed this one up bad. Mm-hmm. People, it's it's like it's a shock to them. They have the CEO stand up in front of the organization, the staff, and say, I really screwed this up, and I'm so sorry. This one's on me. And it creates a really dynamic culture, and it really develops trust between people within the organization, the staff side especially, when you have leaders who are open to that. Well, it would seem like they realize you've got their back. Because mm. if you've got an internal realization of your own human frailty, then hopefully you have the realization of everyone else's human frailty. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Randy, I'm going to go back to something you said. You know, you, you were talking to your wife about this, and you're going through this process, and you're possibly depressed. And one, I'd be interested in what she said to you, because she probably knows you better than anybody does at this point. And two, how did you work through this process? Because I think that'd be interesting for our, our listeners. Well, she said, get off the couch, dum-dum. <laughs> Women are good about that. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. No, actually, she has been almost pathologically supportive of me during my career. I, we, uh, unconditionally supportive, right? So she was concerned. And so this is how it works. So I had the good fortune of a couple of things. One is I got an executive coach. And uh, she helped me unpack some things, Right. And that's the lesson to be learned there, whether you get an executive coach or not, is don't isolate yourself. It's never as bad, or I'd say inversely that, it's never as bad or never as good as you think it is, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. develop a network of people that you can unload on and they can give you a perspective because you are likely catastrophizing a lot of things inside your head that are consistent with reality. That's one. So break that cycle of isolation. And that's what executive coach was really helpful for me, asking me, good questions, helping me connect the dots to uh, put things in perspective. And the other piece of this is, and I did this in parallel to that experience with the coach, is getting really clear on who I am. The more congruent you can be with who you are, especially what you're good at, the more likely you're going to find some fulfillment and purpose. And putting that as the centerpiece of the work that you do, carving as much time as you can And that was helpful. So I found who I was. I found what I'm really good at and what value I bring to the world. I'm trying to invest in as much time as I can in that. What is that, Randy? Yeah, that was my question. Skateboarding. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I get a real immense sense of satisfaction. And I think I bring value to experiences where I can help people and teams and organizations achieve uncommon results. I think I'm good at unlocking other people's potential, which is ironic because I got stuck in this circular death spiral, you know, a year and a half ago or so. And that's what I really enjoy doing. I, I, and I like to see the lights come on. And I like to see people make changes in their lives that, you know, position them, whether it's on the personal side or with their career, and they, they achieve things or teams achieve things. That is why I get out of it. Setting people and, up for success. And, and, you know, I think yes. I said on another podcast we did with Randy, it's, it's interesting because I've said before that you're very good at connecting people and giving them opportunities. I have mm-hmm. seen that mm-hmm. over and over again since you have been the CEO on multitudes of levels and some that, you know, you probably don't even think about, mm. but I've, I've noticed that about you. And I think that to me is one of the things that I admire about you and your strong suits is that, you know, you're always open, you're very mm-hmm. willing to listen and you're always looking for ways to help other people better themselves and give them those opportunities. And I, you know, as much, and, and Randy, don't, we don't see each other that much, but I've just noticed in interactions that I've had throughout the years with him that that is a very strong suit. So that's interesting that you, you find that as your purpose. Seems well, spot you. on to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know it before he did. Well, you know, maybe. But, I don't exactly. know. But. <laughs> I mean, but I've always said you had to be half psychologist to work with people and their money. And, <laughs> that is and Jeremy <laughs> is very, very good and very insightful at seeing people. So 
sometimes a little scary. <laughs> but yeah. actually, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Jeremy and I had to look something up about the hedonic treadmill. <laughs> we had to look that up. So do you want to talk about that just a little bit now that we've Googled it before we got on here with you? Yeah, <laughs> sure. So well, I, yeah. maybe everybody the in the audience knows about it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. So here's the thing. And, and this is, I think, where I was stuck. And I, I referenced just a little bit. I was stuck on the hedonic treadmill. And so let me kind of unpack that just a little bit. So hedonic adaptation is actually a really healthy thing. It's an evolutionary defense mechanism. And so it helps try to get you to baseline in terms of your, I don't like the word happiness, but let's, let's use happiness or contentment, right? So how it works is when you have a good thing that happens to you, right? Think of, you know, you get your DMP from Yale, you become president of the AANA, you get a big bonus, you get the promotion, whatever it is, you feel really good. But guess what? You go back to baseline pretty quickly. Yep. <laughs> good. Now sure. you equilibrate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that seems like that's too bad. You should be able to live on that high. Well, guess what? You don't. Nope. Now the inverse of that is true as well. And this is where I think hedonic adaptation is very healthy in many ways, which right. is something ha- bad happens to you. You get fired. You have a financial setback. Even someone that you love is sick or dies. You go down, right? Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. happens? You will come back to baseline. It may take a while, but you will equilibrate. And what happens is people get addicted, and I was one of them, thinking I'm going to have happiness and fulfillment on the hedonic treadmill. So I get a I get a promotion. I get a job. I get a title. I get that spike. I feel that momentary whatever it is, and I come back to baseline. And then I start looking for Your another next What's next? Your next hit. Yeah, what's next? What is it? You know, what about, what is that? Ex- so we're talking about external indicators of validation. Yep. Right. What I've found in my own work, and for me, and I think this is germane to other, other people, is to get off the hedonic treadmill is not to rely on those external validation variables or indicators. It's getting serious about focusing on developing purpose. Right. And when you invest as much time as you can in purpose, you don't need to spend a lot of time on the hedonic treadmill because you're getting the sense of fulfillment through being focused on purpose. That's where I was stuck, guys. I was stuck on the hedonic treadmill. I had got the job. I was presented to adversity mm-hmm. and I didn't have my bearings. Yeah. And that's where, you know, doing that work that I mentioned helped me get right with. Now, look, it's like I have not self-actualized. I've had bad days. Last week sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. I had a rough week. But it, having that sense of purpose allows me to have more resiliency. And I get back to where I need to be a lot faster. And I'm not running around doing stupid stuff like interviewing for jobs I don't want. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all all good and valid points, Randy. And so as we kind of wrap up here, but, you know, I'd be interested in the advice that you would give to others out there who are aspiring to leadership. I mean, it can be, you know, to be the a president one day. It could be to run for office as Sharon's a, are a you talking about for. me? Um, <laughs> or, you know, going to Yale. And once you get done with your Yale, you know, stint, what's going to be the next thing for you in your life? You know, not talking to anybody in specific. No, Sharon. not uh, at all. But, but you know, I mean, 
<laughs> but that advice, I mean, you know, you've hit on a lot of things today. You, you've unpacked a lot of interesting information for our listeners who probably we all have at some point in our life or could be possibly going through that now. Mm-hmm. I'd be interesting to know what you would say to those people to kind of bring themselves to this self-actualization and what really yeah. and truly not necessarily makes them happy, but is there a purpose? I think, you know, if we're talking about this in the context of leaders, right? So someone who has leadership aspirations or who's emerging as a leader or maybe who isn't in a senior leadership position, it is, we're taught so frequently as we're being developed to focus on the hard stuff, like, you know, I don't know, strategy, finance, these things that you're taught in business school and other leadership. And that stuff's important. I'm not dismissing that. But there's major underinvestment in the soft stuff because the soft stuff is the hard stuff, right? So thinking about your emotional intelligence, you know, and thinking about how you process and deal with adversity, that's way more important, way more important than whether or not you know anything about finance. And that's going to, I think, be much more fulfilling and increase your effectiveness as a leader. The people that you lead and work with, sure, they'll respect technical knowledge, I'm sure that's fine. But the people that impress me are the people who show up with, I think, a focus on service, you know, who show up with a purpose and a narrative, uh, who can communicate, who are self-aware, who are vulnerable and empathetic. All of those things, I get people are like, well, that's hard and weird. And I just want to be, you know, the super smart guy that makes a lot of money or whatever it is. (laughs) All of those things are really tough, but are what I think separate great leaders from good leaders. And I've never been through the process, but I think when probably Randy, when you got your position and Sharon, I think when you became ANA president, don't you guys do some EI testing or some or mapping Herman or brain something? Dominance yeah. And, yeah. You know, they have coaches for you. I don't know if you still do for the president yeah. to help you and go through that some people have imposter syndrome they're like oh my god i won the i won the election now what (laughs) yeah yeah i mean yeah some people actually do go through that i didn't i'm sure because i knew what my purpose was yeah Mm -hmm. but i know that some people do that and we have coaches for it i assume we still do Well, Randy, thank you. This has all been, I think, really time well spent on our end and for our listeners, and you always do a great job for us. So we hope you'll come back at some other point, and we'll we'll talk about some other things. But I I have personally found this to be very interesting and fulfilling, and Sharon knows that it it would be. But, you know, stuff like this I truly enjoy, so – well, you're pretty introspective too, Jeremy, for a man. <laughs> and pretty, naturally to us. Yeah, yeah. And, and pretty self-aware yeah, on yeah, the pretty, spectrum. For the he's, most part. He's pretty up there. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, Randy, we, we want to thank you not only for being on today, but for the leadership that you give to the CRNA community and for truly caring. I mean, you know, you could be a leader that really doesn't care. And, you know, that's part of what you've spoken about today is 
that you do, and and it's very well known. I think not only to us, but mm-hmm. to the majority of CRNAs out there. You know, I, I deal with a lot of CRNAs, and you know, I see a lot of stuff. And Sharon, I'm sure you do, but overwhelmingly, Randy, I think you've got a really good reputation as a leader yeah. for the ANA, and I. I think that speaks droves to who you are personally as well. So. And it's been a pleasure watching you grow. You know, yeah. I was president when he won his yeah. first seat on the board. And yeah, we were like, that. Yeah. who is he? <laughs> I had never heard of him before. But, but yeah. didn't you say like Randy was like really super quiet? He was. Talk a lot and, 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 and you these, still didn't take a no, whole lot. No, but know? I mean, he's like, yeah. what? What's that? When he speaks, you should listen. You should listen. Oh, you should listen exactly. whenever he does speak. And I realized his, I enjoy a sense of humor a lot. <laughs> and uh, yeah. whenever I saw his sense of humor, the first dinner we ever had together. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit I, of a acquired taste. I, I, I oh, but I, I love it. I love it. My kids enjoyed Randy because he really hadn't been around the AANA community a right. lot. So I just, you know, give them a key to the president's suite and, and the kids would come out and Randy would be out there. <laughs> so, but it's been a pleasure to watch you grow over yeah. these last few years, but Thank I so enjoyed much. his sense of humor. Well, and I'll, I'll say one last thing, Randy. I think we're all really happy that you are not looking for another job. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, thank so, you. I've got yeah. the best job in the world. No yep. doubt about it. That's that's yeah. good. I think that's a, a good thing to leave our, our listeners with at this point. So, Sharon? I guess this is it for yeah. us this time. We'll have him back very soon. That's right. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and tell others about us. And leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity out there. And Sharon, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts. And where are we headed to? Uh, top 10. Sharon, I'm telling you, we got to go to number one. I know, but I told I, you before, being a 10 is still good. I know. You think being the 10 is important, and I think the one is important. So <laughs> there, there's our different viewpoints there. So. There's only nine in the middle, so, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the extent of my math. Okay. All right. Well, it's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. 
Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.